And if you have your Bible, please open it up to 1 Corinthians 14. If you're using the Bible in the seat in front of you, you'll find 1 Corinthians 14 on page 814. It's a very practical passage, uh, as Nora read it so well for us this morning, and we're going to dig into what in the world Paul's talking about in that passage this morning. When I was a kid, um, my parents were really into eating healthy and uh, feeding my sister and me really nutritious food, which, of course, is hard when you live in a culture where all around you there's food available that isn't so healthy, which was probably even more true in the 70s than it is today. Um, Well, my parents were so serious about this that they had T-shirts printed up for my sister and me, and they sent us out into the world wearing them, and the T-shirt said, If you love me, don't feed me junk. Um, I think, based on today's scripture, that if Paul were to print up a t-shirt for the Corinthians to wear to church when they went to church together, um, the t-shirt that he would give them would say, if you love me, build me up in Christ. Because according to Paul, that's part of what love is, and that's what love does. Paul says it back in Chapter 8, verse 1. Knowledge puffs up, but love does what? Love builds up. If you love me, build me up in Christ. That's what Paul means as becomes clear in today's passage, that that, um, love builds others up spiritually. Love builds them up to maturity in Christ. And and so that's how Paul begins our passage this morning. If you look at verse 1. Follow the way of love, and eagerly desire gifts of the Spirit, especially prophecy. Why eagerly desire gifts of the Spirit? Well, as we're going to see, because they are what we need to build others up. And why especially should we desire prophecy? Well, again, as we'll see, prophecy is a gift which is great for building people up. But before we get into the nitty-gritty of spiritual gifts, which today's passage brings us into, let's camp a little bit longer on the main point, which is love. Paul begins, follow in the way of love. And because we're doing a series on spiritual gifts right now, we jumped from 1 Corinthians 12, which we looked at last time, to chapter 14 today. But let's not forget that chapter 13 in between is, is uh, let's not forget what it's about. It's one of the most famous chapters in the Bible, right? It's read at a lot of weddings. What's it about? It's all about love. Right in the middle of Paul's discussion on spiritual gifts from chapter 12 to 14, he breaks off in the middle to hammer home to us the importance of love. Why? Because love is the most important thing of all. And because the Corinthians were not being very loving. Their idea of being really spiritual didn't include love. In fact, as we saw last time, their community was full of division and discord. For the Corinthians, being spiritual meant having spiritual experiences and being carried away in spiritual ecstasies. I met someone like this when I worked at a Bible school in Hungary back in my 20s. We had students there at the school from a number of countries in Europe and Africa, and they were a variety of ages. And and a number of, of these diverse men shared an apartment together. And this was challenging since they were from different cultures, they were at different places in life, and, and one of them was an older gentleman who was really spiritual. 
he always had really deep thoughts um, and profound spiritual insights to share. Um, and his apartment mates said he would sit on his bed for hours and, and pray and, and meditate on God and, and scripture. And he'd have these spiritual experiences evidently where, where God would show him visions and, and tell him things and his face would be covered with peace and, and he would almost glow with his excitement about God. But the other students in his apartment were not impressed with his spirituality. Do you know why? Because he wouldn't do the dishes when it was his turn. <laughs> and he wouldn't help clean the apartment. He, he kind of expected other people to clean up for him as if he was too good or something. Too good for that. And, and so Paul would say to him what he says to the Corinthians in our passage this morning, Hold on, that's great that you're having these profound spiritual experiences, but that's not the main point of spirituality. God doesn't give you his Holy Spirit just so you can feel super close to him and have deep insights into his ways and so you can experience his power and presence. That's all great, but, but why also and especially does God give you his Spirit? So that we can love one another. So that we can love one another. That's what chapter 13 was all about. And Paul continues now in chapter 14 by repeating, follow the way of love. And then Paul goes on in today's passage to explain how we're to do that. Again, it's on the t-shirt. If you love me, build me up in Christ. Okay, so now that we've got the main point clear, uh, let's see how Paul encourages the Corinthians to work this out in their church. And to understand what Paul's saying here, we've got to understand that the, the church in Corinth was a church like nothing many of us have ever experienced. First of all, they met in homes, which, which means that there were probably uh, 30 to 50 people meeting together in each home, and there are probably several homes like that in the city of Corinth that Paul's writing to. And, and when they met in homes, they didn't just sit in rows and sing songs and listen to a sermon, and they didn't have a paid pastor. Rather, they, they gathered for church and, and they met in a home and ate a big meal together. And they had a group sharing time and a number of them would participate and contribute with a song, with a thought, with a teaching, and especially with a prayer or with a prophecy. If you read chapters 11 to 14, you'll, you'll see that this is how they operated as a church. Second of all, the Corinthians were a very charismatic church. Charismatic comes from the word a charisma, or, or charism uh, in Greek, which means a gift, uh, a concrete expression of grace. Grace and gift are related in Greek. Um, and the church in Corinth had a lot of, of gifts, a lot of charismas, a lot of um, spiritual gifts, particularly supernatural spiritual gifts. Back in chapter 1, Paul commends them, For in Christ you have been enriched in, in every way. You do not lack any spiritual gift. And if you read chapters 11 to 14, you find out that many of them uh, spoke in tongues, they prophesied, some of them could interpret tongues and, and heal other people and perform other miracles. Have you ever been part of a church like that? Uh, for many of us, some of you have, but for many others, it, it's really different from what we're used to. Um, but Paul is familiar with all this because Paul is just as charismatic himself. In fact, in verse 18 of our passage, Paul says, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. Well, since, um, 
what's going on in this church is unfamiliar to some of us, let me take some time and explain what's going on in this church. Many of Paul's directions here have to do with how the the, uh, Corinthians should be exercising two spiritual gifts, speaking in tongues and prophecy. So let's start with speaking in tongues. Uh, What is it? Well, let's look through our passage for answers. And, And what we find is first, speaking in tongues is talking to God, not to people. We see this in verse 2. If anyone speaks in a tongue, or anyone who speaks in a tongue, does not speak to people, but to God. Second, speaking in tongues is, is praying to God, praising God, or thanking God. Verse 14, if I pray in a tongue. Verse 16, when you are praising God in the Spirit. Verse 17 adds, you are giving thanks well enough. Now notice in verse 15, Paul talks about singing in the spirit. Evidently singing in in tongues. uh, Tongues could be praying, it could be singing. Either way, it's, it's praying, it's praising, it's thanking God. But third, the person speaking in tongues does not understand what they're saying. And neither does anyone else. They're speaking in a language that they don't understand. Verse two, indeed, no one understands them. Verse 14, for if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. And so forth, speaking in tongues happens when the Holy Spirit enables our spirit to pray to God or to praise God without our minds being involved and in a language we don't understand. Verse 2, they utter mysteries by the spirit. Verse 14 again, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. And verse 16, when you are praising God in the Spirit. Fifth, even though the person speaking in tongues doesn't know what they're saying, they're built up by doing it nonetheless. They are, but nobody else is. The Holy Spirit is ministering to their spirit, and they are being blessed, though their mind is not involved in the process. Verse 4, anyone who speaks in a tongue edifies themselves. Verse 17, you are giving thanks well enough, but no one else is edified. So sixth, because tongues edifies the person doing it, it's a great gift to have. Verse 5, Paul says, I would like every one of you to speak in tongues. And verse 18, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. Finally, seventh, and here's the main point that Paul is getting at here. While it's wonderful to speak to God in tongues privately at home or, or quietly under your breath when you're around others, when it's time to, to pray or praise God out loud in the gathering of believers, it's not helpful to speak in tongues unless someone can interpret what you're saying. Otherwise, nobody understands. That's why tongues is sometimes called a private prayer language. Uh, listen to, to these verses and, and remember that the context is the church gathered together. Verse 9, unless you speak intelligible words with your tongue, how will anyone know what you are saying? Verse 12, try to excel in those gifts that build up the church. And verse 13, for this reason, the one who speaks in a tongue should pray that they may interpret what they say so that others can understand it. So in this last verse, we learn that the same Holy Spirit who can enable you to speak to God in a language you don't understand to build up your own spirit can also enable you or somebody else to interpret what you're saying so that everyone else can understand it. 
And then Paul says, if others can understand it, it does become beneficial for everyone else. Okay, that's tongues for some of you. That's all old news. For others of you, it's probably totally unfamiliar and I've raised more questions than I've answered. (laughs) Um, So before we move on, let me answer two other questions about tongues which are pretty common. The first one is, how does the tongues that Paul is talking about here in Corinthians relate to what happened on the day of Pentecost as recorded in the book of Acts? As you may remember, on the day of Pentecost, all the early followers of Jesus were together in an upper room. The Holy Spirit fell on them. They spoke in other tongues. And some of the foreigners who were visiting Jerusalem for the Pentecost feast heard this, and they heard all of these people praising God, and they heard them praising God in the foreigners' native languages. And this got their attention um, so that they listened to what Peter had to say, and as a result of them, a number of them believed in Christ. In that case, other people did understand the tongues that were being spoken to God. Um, and and um, so, so how is the, the tongues that Paul is talking about in 1 Corinthians related to the tongues that we read about in Acts? Answer, we don't know for sure. <laughs> um, it, it seems like at Pentecost, the tongues that the disciples spoke in were foreign languages that they didn't know but that others from foreign lands did recognize as their own. So maybe sometimes tongues could be a foreign language that you speak in, and you never learned it, you don't understand it. The other people around you who say speak English, they don't understand it either, but it is in fact a a known language. And it's possible that other times tongues might be a language that nobody on earth speaks or understands. We don't know for sure. And and I found that it's, it's not helpful to try to systematize or categorize too much what God might want to do through his Holy Spirit. Um, Because often the Bible reports what happened, what what God did in that time and in that place, and we can learn a lot from that. But often the Bible doesn't tell us exactly what God is going to do for us in our time and in our place. Which leads to the second question I want to address. Does God still give give, give the gift of tongues today? There are different beliefs on this, right? Uh, Some, called cessationists, from the verb to cease, think that the Bible says that this gift ceased when the apostles died or maybe once the church got the New Testament. After all, they point out, Paul says in chapter 13, verse 8, where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Others think the Bible says that tongues are still valuable today. After all, um, The Bible doesn't say when tongues will be stilled, and they say, well, God hasn't stilled them yet. After all, um, well, after all, these folks often have the experience of speaking in tongues, and they point to chapter 14, 39, if you want to look down there at the end of chapter uh, 14, where Paul says, do not forbid speaking in tongues. But here's something interesting I've noticed about both views, and that is that even though both views go to the Bible for support, Churches where people speak in tongues tend to believe the Bible supports speaking in tongues today. And in cessationist churches that don't believe in speaking in tongues, nobody speaks in tongues. I'm stating the obvious. (laughs) And when a cessationist does start speaking in tongues, they usually stop being a cessationist. Now, Now what this suggests to me is that what Christians believe about this issue has more to do with our experience than it does with what the Bible teaches. 
a, a Pentecostal or a charismatic has a spiritual experience like tongues, and they go to the Bible to try to understand what's happened to them. A cessationist has never seen tongues, or, or they see someone speaking in tongues and they feel uncomfortable with it, or, or, or they see people abusing the gift, and they go to the same Bible and they conclude, well, God doesn't give this gift anymore today. Well, my reading of the Bible um, is this. I don't think the Bible says one way or another what God is going to do today. As best I can tell, the, the Bible describes what happened back then without laying out exactly what God might do in the future. And so the Holy Spirit then is free to do whatever he wants. And, and we need to be careful not to put him in a box. I, I think we're free to seek whatever gifts from God we may find helpful. Um, and then let's be content with whatever God gives us. Um, verse 5, Paul says, I would like every one of you to speak in tongues. And so at various points in my life, I've taken that and I've said, okay, God, give me the gift of tongues if you want. Um, and uh, he hasn't given it to me yet. So I'm graciously or gratefully using the gifts that he has given me. And uh, if at some point he gives me the gift of tongues, I'll gladly use that gift too. Anyway, that's my take on tongues. There's a lot more. We can talk about it. You can ask me afterwards. But let's move on to prophecy. What do we learn about prophecy in this passage? Well, first, we learn that it's greater. It's a greater gift than tongues. The last verse of the text we looked at last time was 1 Corinthians 12, 31, which said, Now eagerly desire the greater gifts. And some of you afterwards asked me, What does Paul mean by greater gifts? What, what are the greater gifts? Well, in today's passage, Paul gives us an answer in verse 5. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues. Prophecy is greater than tongues. Why? Because second, unlike tongues, other people can understand prophecy. And so it can build people up spiritually. Prophecy is spoken to people, not to God like tongues is. And prophecy is spoken to build people up. You know, we often think of prophecy as predicting the future. And it can involve that, but that's not its main purpose. Prophecy's main purpose is building up other people spiritually. Verse 3. The one who prophesies speaks to people for their strengthening, encouraging, and comfort. And verse 4. The one who prophesies edifies the church. Edifies is the old word that means builds up. And so Paul is saying, speaking in tongues in a gathering of believers is a lousy way to love people because nobody can understand what you're saying. But sharing a prophecy is a great way to love people because it builds them up. And so third, in prophecy, God reveals something to the one exercising the gift that they couldn't know by themselves. We see this down in verses 29 to 31, which is beyond what we've read this morning. But look there. Paul advises two or three prophets should speak and the, and the others should weigh carefully what is said. And if a revelation comes to someone who's sitting down, the first speaker should stop so the second speaker can speak. And then, then look also at verses 24 and 25. If an unbeliever or an inquirer comes in while everyone is prophesying, they are convicted of sin and are brought under judgment by all and the secrets of their hearts are laid bare. So we see in these verses, prophecy is a revelation from God. 
It comforts and strengthens. It encourages. It can also convict you, especially Paul talks about an unbeliever coming in, convict you of your sin and make you feel the weight of God's judgment and and the secrets of your heart are laid bare before God. Powerful stuff. And so forth, prophecy is a very valuable gift. The Apostle Peter taught us to value it right on the day of Pentecost in Acts 2 when he quoted from the prophet Joel and he said, Joel's prophecy has now uh, been fulfilled because this prophetic gift that once was so rare was now being poured out widely on God's people. And so listen to what Peter said there on the day of Pentecost. He said, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. And then we see this this fulfillment happening in in Corinth in our passage this morning. And and Paul wants to encourage it. And so he says in our passage, verse 1, eagerly desire gifts of the spirit, especially prophecy. Verse 5, I would like every one of you to speak in tongues, but I would rather have you prophesy. And down in verse 39, therefore, my brothers and sisters, be eager to prophesy. But notice he adds a word of caution too in verse 29. When one prophet is speaking, let the others weigh carefully what is said, because not everyone with this gift always hears God clearly. Now, of course, the million-dollar question is, is there prophecy today? And some say preaching is prophecy. Is that what prophecy is? Well, let's look at that second question first, and then we'll go back to the first one. Is preaching prophecy? Well, notice in verse 29, Paul distinguishes between a word of, distru- a word of instruction, which can also be translated a teaching, and on the other hand, a revelation. A teaching and a revelation are not the same thing. Paul uses different words to describe them. Also back in chapter 12, verse 29, we looked at last time, Paul distinguishes teachers from prophets. And incidentally, Paul ranks prophets ahead of teachers as being more necessary and helpful for the church. First apostles, second prophets, third teachers. If you believe that first, second, third is talking about importance in being helpful to the church as many interpreters do. So teachers use their minds, they study, they, they think, they pray. And, and then they come and, and um, what they come up with and, and hopefully what the Holy Spirit leads them to share, they share with God's people. Prophets, on the other hand, what they share isn't coming from their mind and their thoughts and their study directly. They're getting it as a revelation, more out of the blue, so to speak. They're getting an insight or, um, or they're, they're seeing a, a picture or, or they're hearing a, a message and, and they don't know how they got it other than that God gave it to them. And, and so you could think of, of teaching and, and prophecy as, as two gifts on a continuum. And, and both have to do with speaking about the things of God to build people up. And, and both involve the guidance and the inspiration from, from God's Holy Spirit um, Both teachers and and prophets spend time in in prayer. They they study the scriptures. But teachers do more thinking and and planning what they will say. And and prophets just get more insights out of the blue, as it were. Stuff that they they couldn't know or they they didn't think of just from their studying and their thinking. Um, So which is preaching? 
Well, it, it could be some of both. It, it also could be other gifts, like it could be encouragement, it could be evangelism, depending on the gifts of the preacher. Um, I'd say I do a lot more teaching than prophesying. Um, although occasionally stuff comes to my mind and I don't know how it got there. Um, let, let me also add, you don't have to be a preacher to use the gift of teaching or the gift of prophesying. Um, there are plenty of other ways to use these gifts. And, and so second question then, does God still give the gift of prophecy today? Well, again, like tongues, we have two views on it based, again, I think more on people's experiences than on what the, the scripture says um, because while on the one hand, cessationists like to point out that 1 Corinthians 13.8 says, where there are prophecies, they will cease. Charismatics will point to all the good things Paul says about prophecy in our passage this morning, as well as 1 Thessalonians 5.20, where Paul warns, do not treat prophecies with contempt. So again, I personally find both neither argument completely convincing, and so I don't want to box in what God might want to do. Um, and I'd love us to have every spiritual gift that God's willing to give us. Um, well, in the meantime, whatever you think, and I know there's a lot of different views on these things out there, and I haven't fully covered any of them, just given you my perspective and a, a thumbnail of a couple of the major ones. So in the meantime, let's not lose Paul's main point in this passage. And that is that it's all about love. And if you love me, you will build me up in Christ using whatever gifts God has given you. And if you have the gift of prophecy, then use that to build others up because church is about building people up spiritually, right? Right. That's why Paul goes on and on about speaking in tongues and prophesying. And he says, when you gather together as God's people, let's have less tongues and more prophecy. Why? Because when you speak in tongues, nobody is built up except yourself. Because nobody understands what you're saying. But when you prophesy, people understand and they're built up. So let's apply Paul's main point to us today. Why do we... Why do you get together with other followers of Jesus? Do you get together to feel good uh, that you're spiritual? Maybe you're more spiritual than some of the other people here. And um, maybe you can kind of show off uh, how spiritual you are like the Corinthians were doing. And so you get a, you know, a good ego fix from being together with these not quite as spiritual as you people. Is that why you come together? Or, or do you come to get a personal spiritual high? to get inspired by a sermon or, or, or by the music or by others as they share their gifts. That's great if you're built up, if, if you're inspired. Just like speaking in tongues, it's great that you are being edified. But that's not the main point of coming together as Christ's body. The main reason that we gather is to build one another up spiritually. The main point is that you and me and each of us bring something to build one another up. If you love me, then build me up in Christ. If you love me, then build me up in Christ. Whether it's through prophecy or, or a scripture that you read yesterday, um, or an encouraging story about something God did for you this past week, the purpose of the body of Christ coming together is that we would build one another up. 
That's why things like small groups and missional communities or, or getting together for a meal or for coffee are so important. Because Sunday mornings, we're, we're limited in how many people can share. 125 people is, is a lot, especially when some of them are in the next room, um, to try to have an open forum every week. Um, so we can have a few people share on Sundays, and we could probably do a better job of that. Um, and we can chat afterwards, and we could share some that way. But, but it's through regularly meeting together in smaller gatherings that we can really build each other up and give everyone a chance to participate and be involved. And if you don't know what your spiritual gifts are, or you're kind of not sure how to build others up, it's in smaller gatherings that it's easier to, to learn how and to try some things out and, and to take a risk. It's easier to take a risk with six other people than with 125, right? Um, I know some of you who are reticent to get up here and, and share a story. We'll, we'll gladly share it with two other people over coffee. Um, and so in many ways, those smaller gatherings are closer to the kind of church that Paul is describing in today's passage that was going on in, in Corinth and that Paul was encouraging to build one another up. The, the smaller gatherings are closer that, to that than what Sunday mornings are, although they have a, a value as well. So you can ask yourself when church, um, or you can tell yourself rather, when church friends invite you over for dinner, tell yourself, I'm going to church. Or when you get involved in a small group or a missional community, you can tell yourself, I'm getting involved in church, the body of Christ, what the New Testament talks about. Um, what is the church? It's, it's a community where you can love and be loved. And where you can learn to use the gifts God has given you to build each other up in Christ. So let's pray as we close, and, and as we pray, I want to invite you to listen to what God might want to say to you this morning about all, or from all these things that we've covered. Um, how is God calling you to love others? Because love is the most important thing. So what does love look like practically? Uh, maybe, maybe it means asking God for a specific spiritual gift, the gift of prophecy or another gift which can build up the body. Or maybe you have a gift and you need to learn how to use it better. You need to stir, steward it, develop it, practice it, learn to use it. Um, maybe you need to ask God to teach you how to use your gift to build other people up and to show you ways, some ways that you could do that. Or maybe you need to get in community to join one of CBC's small groups or missional communities to start a new one. We could train you to do that. Or to just spend regular time with a few friends intentionally seeking to build them up. So let's pray and let's each ask God um, how he would have us respond. God, thank you for giving us a body. We don't have everything we need ourselves. We lose our way. We lose perspective. We lose courage. We get discouraged. We need to be loved. We need to be connected. We need people who have gifts which we lack. Thank you for richly pouring out gifts from your spirit into our midst, giving each of us one or more. God, we take a minute now um, just to listen to what you're saying to us each this morning and how we might respond to this. We'll take a minute to be quiet.
God, we thank you that from time to time we do hear your word when we gather together. And it's easy over coffee, maybe Sunday school, and then the rest of the afternoon for that to fade away and to get forgotten. I pray that you'd show us, you'd give us a resolution and tangibly show us what we can do um, to act on what you say to us so that it will shape us and change us and we'll become more the people you want us to be. In Jesus' name.